Well, it is a good morning. I'm glad to see you guys here. Welcome back. We are in the middle of a series called The Search, and really what we're talking about is that every single one of us are searching for the same things. Love, acceptance, approval, significance, security, worthiness, that God has placed those desires within our hearts. But the question becomes, where do we search for those things? And what we did last week is we traced it back basically to our core beliefs, that based on our core beliefs, depending on what you believe, it will determine where you search for those answers. And what we said last week was this. Um, We can't simply change our behavior. What we need to do is change our beliefs. And if our beliefs are rooted and founded in the truths of God, It will affect our thinking and the way we think. It will affect our emotions and the way we feel. And it will ultimately affect our behavior in what we do. See, for too long we've said, if you'll just change your behavior and you change your behavior and I change my behavior, that we'll get things right that way. And the truth is that doesn't really solve anything. It's the difference between this. If I I said, you're going to be on your knees today... And you're either going to be on your knees in prayer and worship to God that you willingly drop to your knees in a way to pay honor to God. Or someone would bring a gun to your head and say, you're going to get on your knees right now. The end result is you get on your knees. But the difference is one is a forced behavior and the other one is a voluntary behavior. And what I'm trying to say is this, sometimes you you may feel like trying to live a way that pleases God and to live for God, if you don't have joy in doing that because it feels as if you're being pressured to do something you don't really want to do. When if we get this behavior and belief thing right, that we will actually, our emotions and our thoughts and our beliefs will actually drive us to the behavior and the lifestyle that we truly want uh, for God that would please God. If you're continually fighting back thoughts and emotions and behaviors, and you feel like all those are working against what you really truly want to be as a person and where you really want to go in that life, then this message is for you because let's, we need to look at the beliefs behind those thoughts and those emotions and those behaviors. We're going to do that. The way you do that, there's no magic sauce. The way you do that is you exchange the false beliefs and the, and the things that, the lies that we have believed, and we replace them with the truths of God. And when we replace them with the truths of God, and the Spirit of God enables us to believe that rather than the lies that have, uh, that have been ingrained in our heads, then we can change. The first false belief we want to unpack today. Uh, We're going to do three. This is the first of three false beliefs. We're going to just look at one false belief today. And the first one we're going to pack is called the performance trap. The performance trap. Um, There could be good traps or bad traps. This is a bad trap. And one of the bad traps uh, that most of you guys are fully aware of is what I call the woman traps. Let me explain. (laughs) A woman trap is a question like, do you think she's pretty? You know what flashes through my head every time I hear that? You know the guy from Star... This is for you, Kevin. This is from Star Wars and the Admiral with a really weird face. And, uh, and he screams out, I see the meme, it's a trap. Right? Whenever you hear that question, it's a trap. There's no right answer to that question. Or, do you think this makes me look big? Woman trap. You don't answer that. 
There's a bad trap. There's a false belief that you and I fall into. I would say this affects every single one of us on some level, but some of us, this actually drives the majority of our behavior in our relationships more than anything else. And here it is. We're just going to spell it out for you. The false belief we're going to tackle is this. I must meet certain standards in order to feel good about myself. I must meet certain standards in order to feel good about myself. These could be standards that you place on yourself, but more than likely, this goes back to a root cause where someone said something to you or uh, gave an impression to you that you weren't measuring up, and because of that, you walk around with an inferiority uh, uh, thinking about yourself, and it could have sounded like this. Man, I wish you were more like your sister. Or you're a screw-up and you're always going to be a screw-up. Or you continually disappoint me. And those statements, if it's coming from the wrong person, someone we admire and someone that we love can make deep-rooted scars in our life and open the door for this performance trap to come in. And when we soak in those lies and we soak in those words and we start to believe those things that are true about us, we will create expectations in our mind that if we're going to be lovable and if we're going to be okay and if people are going to like us and if I can like myself, then I have to measure up to these standards. It's a trap. It's a trap because it is a theological and practical impossibility. It is a practical and theological impossibility to live up to the standards you've created in your minds, that other people create for you, and the, the, and the standards that God himself has for you. In the scriptures, it says this in Romans 3.20. It says, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. So what he's saying is none of us measure up. None of us meet the standard. And the more we try to meet the standard, the harder we try to perform, the more clearly it becomes to us that we are not measuring the standard and we can't measure up. Nobody can. And the more we don't ever, um, sorry, the more we don't ever satisfy our, our own cravings for the standard or someone else's standard, the more, uh, the more this trap tightens around you. You buy into the lie all over again, and there's a downward spiral of disappointment and frustration and what's wrong with me, and I guess I'm just the way I am, and I'm not even worthy of love. If we believe that lie long enough, there's several consequences to our lives. We're going to unpack a few of them for you. A couple of the consequences of buying into the performance trap, the first one is this, is the fear of failure. Is the fear of failure. If you believe you've got to reach a certain standard in order to feel good about yourself, then what you're going to do is you're going to find areas of your life that you're really good at, and you're going to stay in that lane, and you're never going to venture out and try things you've never tried before and do things you've never done before, because if you were to fail at that, then you're a failure. You have an aversion to taking risks or pushing yourself to try something new and be more than you are today. Because you believe you won't be able to meet those standards, so you don't even try. You don't try. 
And we're defeated before we begin. That's why I was so proud of Brian Saban. Brian and Corey and I are in a men's discipleship group together. And Corey's got his regular job and he's got his family and God's good and his life's good. But he's taking a chance. He's starting his new, a new business and it's called uh, Shark's Tooth. It's a, uh, Ryan, he's laughing back there. But it's a, it's a clothing and apparel line of, of, for surfers. He's like, I'm in Atlanta, but nobody knows that. So I'm going to start the Shark's Tooth thing. But this is literally a dream from decades ago that he'd come up with designs, and he's, he's going for it. I mean, he's, he's launching the website, and he's got uh, manufacturers lined up, and he's putting himself out there and taking a risk and not afraid to fail. And I say, praise God for that. Praise God for that. Let me ask you this. If you knew you couldn't fail, if you knew you couldn't fail, what would you attempt today that you're not attempting right now? What would you do? Because whatever that answer is, that is a beacon of light to where you have fear of failure. And we have to realize, we need to realize this, that failure is not fatal. Failure is not fatal. Every single hero of the Bible failed, and yet God used them for his purposes Great men and women of God fall and stumble, yet God picks them up and uses them for his purposes. The second uh, result of the, the performance trap is perfectionism. Perfectionism. Now, some of you naturally have this tendency, and if you've taken the place assessment at our church, which if you haven't, I highly encourage you to do. It helps you find your place in life and ministry. One of those parts of the assessment is your personality test. And if you come back with a personality type of a C personality, how many of you know you have the C personality on the disc thing? Okay, you are prone to perfectionism. Okay, it's, it's just a natural outflow of that personality type. But this is something deeper than that. This is an emotional to response to anything that is less than perfect. And you can notice the one wrong thing of something instead of real, recognizing all the great things of something. Can I tell you, God's been speaking to my heart about that? Because it's good for me to walk into this building with someone who hasn't seen it before. Because when I walk in on a day-to-day basis, I look and say, well, that paint's not done up there. Man, we don't have carpet on the floor. And I start looking around at all the things that are not the way it's supposed to be. But when I bring a new person in here, they go, wow, man, this is awesome. You guys are moving towards something great. And I go, you're right. Why didn't I see that? Why didn't I see that? We take, if, if this is you, you take imperfection personally as a reflection on you. And it results in lashing out at others for their imperfections. Or feeling like you're less than someone else because you don't reach perfection yourself. Third consequence of the performance trap is that you could be driven to success. Driven to success. Being the best is the only option where second place is just first place loser. Right? You know anybody like that? Where you push yourself beyond healthy limits to have, like you have something to prove because you do have something to prove. And you end up overcommitting your life and overcommitting your schedule because you, you want to you succeed because if you do more and you are more and you be more, then you can feel good about yourself. You know if you take moron and moron, that makes you a moron. 
That's right. <laughs> you like that, don't you? I don't know if that's original to me, but first time I heard it. You'd be even, if, if you're driven to success like this because of the performance trap, you'd be even willing to manipulate others in order to feel successful yourself. This really, um, this is something I deal with as a pastor trying to lead a, successfully lead a church plan in a new church. But I tell you, this was deep inside of me from years ago. And uh, it really came out when I was trying to make the basketball team at Brookwood High School back in 1988. In 1987, 1988, I, I tried out and I got cut. I didn't make the ninth grade team and I didn't make the junior varsity team. Everybody feel sad for me? Yeah, thank you. So I went out my junior year. And I can remember not making the team and feeling this weight of disappointment. Mostly, I felt like my dad was disappointed in me. And he never said, he never expressed, he never told me that he would love me any less or wasn't any less proud of me or that he didn't, you know, any of that. But I just felt like I was letting him down. And if I could just get, get on the team and, and do something in athletics, then he would be more proud of me. That was me, not him. And then when I made the team my junior year, I felt this overwhelming rush of, of, of elation. Man, I did it. My, and the first thing I thought of was, I can't wait to tell my dad. Man, he's going to be so proud of me. It didn't change anything how he felt towards me. Yet this brokenness was in me. And it's in you. And the quicker we recognize it for what it is, the lie of performance that we buy into, the quicker we can replace it with the truth that God has for us. It's no way to live. Feeling like every day you've got to prove yourself. Every day you've got to measure up. And every day you've got to earn it with people and with God. So God has a lie to combat that truth. You ready for it? God's solution, God's replacement to the performance trap is this thing called justification. Justification. That is a big, awesome church word, isn't it? We're going to learn what that big, awesome church word means today. It's justification. And look at your scriptures at what it says in the book of Romans, chapter 5, verse 1. He says, therefore, since we have been, what? Justified through faith, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. All right. So justification. You guys got it? Everybody understand? We good? You got the truth? Am I, am I done here? No. I, I didn't think so. Thank you. I'm glad you didn't send me off stage. Because you and I, that hasn't, we don't really understand what justification means in the depth and the breadth of how encompassing this is and how it frees us from the performance trap. So let's try to wrap our head around what this thing means, okay? This justification means this is God's final verdict about you. It is forever his view and how he views you forevermore. And it says this, you are without sin and you are without guilt and you are without condemnation and you are without shame and you have none of those things because Christ has taken them from you. Is that good news this morning? Give God praise for that this morning. Come on. It's when you say, God, I'm so sorry for the sin of my life. I keep messing up. And God says, I have no idea what you're talking about. Because you've been justified. 
It's not that God is forgetful or letting one slide by, but that God has made payment and has done business with our sin and our shame and our condemnation, and he has redeemed it and he has removed it forever. See, once justified, think about this, you and I stand unashamed before God. If we are justified, we can stand unashamed before a holy God. It is a done deal. And every blemish, and every misspoken word, and every good thing that you've attempted to do that you had the wrong motive for, every single one of these things have been made right in the eyes of God. I want you to notice this passage. It says, therefore we have been justified. What English teachers here, what tense is that, that verb? Past. This is a past tense thing. This is something that's already happened. That in Jesus Christ, when you give your life to Christ and he becomes the savior and leader of your life, that this is a a done deal and that you are now pleasing before God and you have peace with God. You are a success in God's eyes regardless of how you behave because of what Christ has done for you. Period. End of statement. No catch. No, if you do well today. No, if you try harder tomorrow. Not if you read your Bible this morning. Not if you go to church every week. There no strings attached. That God has justified you means that He sees you permanently how He's going to see you, regardless of your performance today, and regardless of your performance tomorrow, and regardless of your performance forever. That is what justification means. And it happens through an ultimate trade. I want you to see another passage here in 2 Corinthians 5.21. Look at this. This is how God can make justification happen. It says this, God made him who had no sin. Now, who would that be? Jesus Christ. Good Sunday school answer. God made him who had no sin, Jesus, to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God says, I'm willing to trade you, Jimmy. And I'm willing to trade you, Kevin. I'm willing to trade you, everyone in this room. I'm willing to take on your sin and your brokenness and your shame. And I'll take that. In fact, not only will I do that, and I'll also give you the righteousness of Christ to be yours. That's a pretty awesome trade. So let me just ask you, make sure we understand this. Is our standing with God through Jesus Christ, is it based on our performance? It is not. Are we worthy of love if we do right or we don't do right? Yes. We are worthy of his love. I'm sorry, I said that wrong. Oh, I'm sorry. Are we worthy of love if and only if we do what's right? No. It isn't based on our performance, but it's on, based on Jesus' performance, on what he did for us. It's based on his worth, not our worth. When Christ went to the cross, 
There was that transaction actually physically took place. In the garden, he lamented the cup that was to be given to him. It was the sins of the world being poured out on him. And he wept and he bled through his skin. He was so agonizing over the tremendous weight that was coming upon him. And when he cried out on a cross and he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is because the sins of your life and in my life were being judged on a holy person, Jesus Christ, on the Savior of the world. And he bore that so that you and I never have to bear that. You and I never have to feel that shame. We never have to feel that isolation. We never have to feel that condemnation ever again. That's what Jesus did for every one of us on the cross. And most of you know that. You've been in church long enough. But I think we've been missing the other half of this statement. The other part of justification That in that same moment, not only did Jesus Christ remove our sin, he gave us his righteousness. Let that sink in a second. He gave you his righteousness. Now you are as righteous as Jesus Christ himself. So here's how we're going to say that. Justification means, you've got some blanks to fill in here. It means that God has not only forgiven your sin, but he has granted you the righteousness of of Christ. Therefore, I am fully pleasing to my heavenly Father. Fully pleasing to my heavenly Father. See, once we're justified, God sees you like he sees Jesus. Holy, perfect, blameless. You say, I'm not worthy of God looking at me that way. No, that's the whole point. That's why it's called grace, is we didn't deserve it and we didn't earn it, but God freely gave it to those who would believe. So the question that matters is this. Is it enough? Is it enough for you personally that God is pleased with you through Jesus Christ? Is that enough to satisfy your longing for significance and acceptance acceptance and worthiness and love? Is that enough? Are you still going to look for it and long for it from somebody else? Are you going to look to another broken person that's as broken as you are and long for their love and affection and attention and, and their uh, uh, approval? Or is the, the approval and love of your heavenly Father enough? You're fully accepted in Christ by him. Fully. You're pleasing to God. You've been justified before God and forgiven. And the picture that kept coming to my mind as I was thinking about how do we describe just how complete justification is? It's it's this. If you were to take your life and my life and it was the quality of our drinking water... Apart from Christ, just on our own, I don't know about you, but mine wouldn't be coming out of a faucet. It'd be coming out of a sewage line. That even my good deeds, the prophet Isaiah said, even our good deeds are like filthy rags before God. That if we were to just to quantify what our life looked like in a cup of water, it would be stuff floating in it, dingy, nasty. And I believe the message that we've received in the church or what we've believed through the years is that, well, Jesus, he ran that water through enough of a filter. He filtered out some of the bad stuff. And that water's better than it was. It's cleaner than it was. And it might be good enough to wash your car or to wash your dog. 
but you wouldn't drink it. Can I tell you this morning that justification means that Jesus drank your sewage water for you. He drank it for you. And he handed you a spring of clean, fresh mountain water. And that's who you are in Christ. He didn't just clean up your sin. He removed your sin. And he gave you a new lot on life and a new identity and a complete approval before your heavenly father. That is the best news I've ever heard. We have been justified through faith in Jesus Christ. What's our response to this? How do we respond to that truth? Can I tell you, it's simply to believe that. It's simply to believe that that's true and that that's enough. Believe that you are fully pleasing to God despite what your emotions say, what your behavior yesterday says, that God views you like he views Jesus Christ. You have to choose that by faith over and over and over again. And when you allow the, the you feel the performance trap beginning to press down on you and feeling like you've got to earn God's approval or someone else's approval or you've got to meet a certain standard to be feel loved, you remind yourself, wait a minute. I've been justified. I'm righteous in God's eyes. And we combat the lies with the truth of God. If you've not been justified, if you've never had that amazing transaction where you brought the weight and the guilt and the condemnation of your sin before a holy God and say, God, you're right, I'm busted, I have nothing to offer. If I get judged by the weight of my sin, I am condemned. Yet by faith, I'm going to trust that Jesus Christ is enough to pay for these sins and to usher in a new life, an eternal life for me. Then that moment and that day can be today. If you guys would bow your heads and pray with me for a moment. I don't want to miss your, you to miss your chance. You can have the forgiveness and the peace and the love and the approval of God. See, that's why Jesus Christ came. That's why he allowed himself to be tortured. That's why he died on a cross and he rose from the dead. He did all of that, that he might justify those who are not worthy of justification. And this morning, if you're ready to make that transaction with God and say, God, I admit I need this, then right now, if you'll just start speaking to the Lord and say, Jesus, forgive me. I acknowledge that my life is dirty and dank before you. And I need forgiveness. I need to know this relationship with you. I need to know Jesus in a way that he can purify my life. So the best I know how, I'm putting my faith in Jesus today. I believe he's enough. I believe his payment on the cross is enough. I believe an empty tomb is enough. God, you proved everything I need to know that you really are the Savior of the world. And I want you to be my Savior today. If you called on God like that today to be the one who justifies you, to make you holy and clean, would you just slip your hand up? Nobody looking around. I just want to know if God spoke to you that way today. You've received the gift of justification. Through Jesus Christ. I see you. Thank you, Jesus.
Father, I want to, I just want to pray for the, the whole group here. God, we believe the lie far too often that we have to prove it every day. God, I'm just going to pray that you set your people free today. That we can come in and say, I blew it today, but God still loves me. I'm broken, but I'm being remade. I'm guilty, but I get to go free. And let the truth of what it means to be justified by you sink in. That they're not just good enough for you to stand or bear, but you are. they are so pleasing in your sight that you are near and with them and love them like you love your son, Jesus. Impress that upon our hearts today, God. Help us to believe this truth and set us free in Jesus' name.